Welcome to episode 161 of Auto Off Topic. What's up, Brad? Not much, Andrew. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm actually pretty good. Um, I don't want to uh, jump right into weather, but <clears throat> we're cooling off here in Arizona. So I've actually uh, used a Sapporo on a few non-car event days just to, like, go somewhere. Yeah, we're actually, uh, we are cooling off here in uh, Massachusetts as well. Yeah, it's a negative there and a positive here. Yeah. Um, but uh, you were uh, you were supposed to go on an event this weekend that sounded pretty cool. I was, yeah. So I guess we'll get right into that. So we can take that back to my storied history of Arizona and me. Sure. Because the first, the first time I ever came to Arizona before I lived here, obviously, and the time that I fell in love with this state, particularly its northern areas... Um, was in 2010 when I came out here with you and your now wife right. to uh, spectate at the Prescott rally. Yep. Um, a friend of ours was debuting his new rally car, and we were spectating, and you were doing media stuff. So it was like a we came out here, and that's the reason we came here. So fast forward to 2019, nine years later, the Prescott rally was supposed to be this past weekend. Um, unfortunately, due to scheduling conflicts and location and whatever else is going on, um, they didn't have enough entries to actually run the rally. Yeah. So it's a shame because it's a nice rally. It's a cool area. It's a very neat area. It's just kind of out of the way probably for some people. Well, the cool thing about it too, is that it's a rally that's run on public land. Right. So it doesn't require a lot of extra permission from like landowners and townspeople and, so it's one of those things where it's like it's such a perfect location and it's like long flowing open like deserty stages almost like you know safari rally style stuff. Yeah. Um it's this really stage. a shame. Yeah, it's beautiful too. Yeah. It's really a shame the past 2 years it hasn't been run because of lack of entries. Um but the rally community here um is pretty strong and they wanted to do something that same day anyway. So they put together what they called a Prescott Safari Run. So it wasn't a timed event. Um, it was more of like a... Um, I kind of liken it to like one of those vintage road rallies they do in California, like the Snowball Rally or the California Melee or Driving driving While Awesome's um, Coastal Range Rallies. Like it's a, it was a, basically it was going to be a spirited drive through what would have been Desert Rally course if the event had happened. So it was open to, I think, people who are in the know, basically. <laughs> it was kind of like an invite in the invite thing. If you knew somebody who knew somebody, you were in the know and you could come participate in the event. Um, so I was actually invited to sit in the passenger seat of a uh, former guest of the show and good friend of the show, Josh, from Adventure Driven Design. Uh, he was like, hey, we have this event coming up, and uh, do you want to be navigator, co-driver, whatever? in my Galat VR4. And I was like, I was excited for a couple things. Like one, get to run the rally stages at not rally speed, but a brisk speed. Um, get to spend a day roaming the desert in a Galat VR4. Get to hang out with our friend. And also I was excited to meet a bunch of the people here in the local rally community. Right. Cause I've, I've met a few, um, just one by chance and two we already knew. <laughs> but I thought it'd be cool to meet some of the people here because, you know, 
being from the East Coast, I know all the NER people, and I'd like to meet all the people out here in the in the uh, Arizona region, Arizona area. So. Yeah. Uh, before you get too deep, I remember like one memory just popped in my head at the end of the rally. Uh, there was a big party in the service park, and mm-hmm. they had a gas-powered margarita blender. Yes, I believe it's called El Blendoro. Something it was something along those lines, yeah. And so, like, we're in the logbook for it somewhere. Like, I remember we signed it. Oh yeah, on the the fender of the trailer. Yeah, it's like you have to yeah, you I had to that. sign the logbook if you took a a margarita made from this thing. Right, it was the official logbook to keep it legal for rally every year. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, anyway, so the morning camp morning comes. We're up before dawn. Like we're up with the sunrise, which the sunrise in you know, Arizona is pretty gorgeous anyway, just like sunsets out here. So I wasn't worried about that. And uh, Josh came and picked me up, and we went to uh, his friend's shop, um, his friend Keith, where they build all their Galant VR4s, and they're currently actually building a Galant VR4 rally car. Uh, and Keith is there waiting for us with his KTM dual sport bike. So it's a 990 Adventure, I think it's called. So it's 990cc twin like big tall like safari ra- safari bike kind of yeah, deal. A Dakar bike. Yeah, basically a Dakar bike. Um, super neat bike. So he's going to ride up in front of us, and we're going to follow him up there. Um, but we first decided we're going to need to get gas, and I had a cooler full of drinks. Um, obviously non-alcoholic because we were driving cars, but I did want to have ice for those drinks. So I stopped at the gas station down the road, and by the time we got to the gas station, the Gallant had smoke coming out of the hood. Ah. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he has hood vents on the front edge of the hood, like back probably eight or nine inches from the front edge, um, like the JDM style hood vents. Um, and he's never had smoke come out of them before. He did have an oil leak that he spent all day Thursday into Friday fixing, which was a valve cover issue. So we thought we had it. He thought he had it knocked. Um, we're looking for the source of the leak, and we noticed that the top bolt where the feed line for the turbo goes into the turbo yeah, um, seems awful wet. And it's a big pool of oil in front of the, like, I don't know what to call it, what the, what the banjo bolt goes into, like the stanchion on top of the turbo. Yeah, the, it's the, the, it's the, the center feed, section. The, the center, in the center section, whatever, they, whatever you call the stanchion that the that the banjo bolt goes into. There's probably a name for it. I just can't think of it right now. Yeah, so that top line is what feeds the engine oil pressure to the turbo. Yes. It comes out of the cylinder head and goes down to the turbo. Um, But it's very wet in front of that. So we determined that, hey, I think that that bolt is probably loose. Now, with the car car apart, you have the radiator out, the fans out, the heat shields off the exhaust. You can get to that bolt fairly easily. Mm Mm-hmm. When the car is put together, you can't. No, not really. Yeah. Uh, we managed to get to it by sawing a 17 millimeter um, wrench down to get it to clamp on the top of the bolt. Yeah. Uh, or so we thought. We'll get back to that later. So we got the the wrench on there. Um, uh, sorry, 19 millimeter, not 17 millimeter. It's 19 millimeter. Um, we got the wrench on there, and we managed to turn it like... Between an eighth and a quarter of a turn. So we're like, oh, that was definitely loose. Let's clean up the oil. We should be good. So we clean up all the oil, get it all done, fire the car up. 
sit there in the parking lot, you know, revving it a few times, watching it with flashlights, looking for any kind of spray or any kind of leak or kind of anything. And everything seems kosher and everything seems okay. So, all right, here we go. Let's head on down the road. Uh, let's stop at the first Walmart we see and buy a fire extinguisher just in case, but let's head on down the road. <laughs> so we headed down the road and everything was fine and good until we hit um, the first big climb. Because Prescott is, I don't know how many feet higher than Phoenix, but it's at pretty high elevation. So to get there, you wind up heading up some pretty heavy hills. Well, it's 5,000 feet. Is it 5,000 feet? Yeah. Okay, if we so get that wrong, Stephanie will yell at us. So, Right. So it's 4,000 feet higher than Phoenix? Yeah. Well, okay. Naomi is actually looking at Radar, shaking her head yes, and she lives here for a long time. So she uh, she knows that we're, we are now correct. It is 5,000 feet. It is a mile-high city just like Denver. Um, so anyway, we're climbing from here at, you know, about a thousand feet to there at 5,000 feet. So it's obviously a lot of climbing in this two hour drive. And the first big hill we go up, all of a sudden we're seeing smoke again. Oh, fun. Yeah. So we pull over. There is smoke, this is smoke, there is oil completely covering the turbo housing again. And it's sprayed up probably because I'm assuming it gets into the fan and sprays back. So it's like coating the bottom of the hood, coating top of the valve cover, coating the strut tower bar. So like, all right, well, this isn't good. So at this point, we decided that we're not going to chance it and try to drive all day with that much oil and that much smoke, especially because it's literally pouring on the exhaust. And we'd rather not burn the car down. So we're going to take the safe side of things and try to get it home. Uh, We don't want to tow it home because it's expensive. Um, but it's mostly downhill all the way home, so we figure we'll be okay. So we happen to have Windex in the back because the one system in the car does not function is the windshield wipers. Oh. So we brought Windex and um, paper towels for the inevitable mud splatter we'd have to clean off later in the day. Everything else works from the AC to the cruise control, but no wipers. So we took the Windex and we sprayed down the cylinder head, sprayed down everything we could as much as we could to get all the oil off um, so it wouldn't smoke when driving away. And we made it all the way back to Josh's house without any incident. Um, so now, because we started so early in the day, it's now Saturday morning at like 8.30. So it's like, well, let's not waste this day. Let's fix the car. Um, so we tore it down a little more than we did in the side of the road to access that bolt that I thought we turned a quarter to an eighth to a quarter of a turn. Uh, and it turns out that we... Did not actually turn the bolt at all, and the 19 millimeter had grabbed into the side of it, and it actually stripped part of the bolt. Oh. So it was not actually moving. It was just the wrench ruining the top of the bolt is what was happening. We couldn't see that because it was still in the car. So anyway, we took it apart, um, managed to fix the top of it so we could put a wrench on it, pulled it off the um, copper washers, they're like crush washers almost, like you would have in a uh, drain pan. A drain plug, I should say. Uh, they weren't great. So we started sanding them to clean them up a little bit, and I was like, wait a second, it's Saturday. Isn't the Mitsubishi store open? Yeah. So he's like, oh yeah, it's probably a good idea. So we went to the Mitsubishi store near um, where he lives, the part of town he lives in, Mesa. Um, and actually both people behind the counter there are both like I wouldn't call them enthusiasts, but they're enthusiast friendly. Right. Which is pretty which is pretty awesome for a Mitsubishi store in twenty nineteen. 
Um, so they don't require a VIN number or anything. They just he tells them what system he's working on, and they turn the computer to him and have him point to the parts. So it worked pretty well, actually. Um, so they had all four crush washers in stock. Yeah. So that's good to have in stock because those they haven't made a turbo car in how long? Yeah, but I'm, I'm remembering they were used on something else, though. I'm sure they were. They were two different sizes because the two that go into the turbo are larger and the two in the cylinder head are smaller. Yeah. There, so. Yeah, there's some other thing that they're used on because I remember we used to have them, too. Anyway. So we, we got those, picked up some other parts that he had ordered, and went back to his house um, and reinstalled that that line. Um, while I had it off, we also cleaned up the mating services where the washers go on the line. And then we held it and actually filled it with oil to make sure there wasn't like a pinhole in it somewhere. And it was actually the, the crush washers that were allowing the oil to pass by. So we did that, filled it with oil, like just stood there holding it for a while, and it didn't leak at all put air pressure through it, and it didn't leak at all. So we knew the line itself was fine. Um, put the whole car back together, cleaned it up, and said, all right, what do we do? Do we go for a drive? Do we try to meet up with them on their, like, the rest of their safari run? You know, at this, at this point, it's probably about noontime by the time we're all said and done. Um, so we decided to go for a drive and see how far we could get, see how it worked out. So we left uh, Mesa. We were headed down Highway 88, which is called the Apache Trail. Um, and we were heading pretty far out the Apache Trail. It's actually part of its closed now because of storm damage. So we didn't make it. We were, we were trying to hit the dirt portion of the, of the Apache Trail so that we could at least have some, you know, quote-unquote off-road driving for the day. So we didn't quite make it that far because the car started smoking again. Huh. Yeah. So, unfortunately, we did not fix the oil leak that we thought we fixed. Um, the oil leak he had the other day... So, the oil leak is definitely better. That was definitely part of the problem. But the oil leak he had the other day that was the valve cover gasket, or the valve cover itself, I should say, he fixed by putting on a supposedly known good valve cover. And this valve cover also was cracked. Oh... Yeah. Yeah. So the valve covers on these cars are notoriously easy to crack. So two well, things can happen, have... and I'm sure he's aware of it. Um, the and I'll get actually I have a project car update about this. So the in the head of a four G six three, it uses a bunch of six millimeter bolts to hold the valve cover down, and the head is aluminum and the bolts are steel. So they strip very very easily. And anytime you're rebuilding one of these engines, you basically do helicoils to the head while it's out. So we, we talked about we talked about that because the um, the torque on them is 14 foot pounds. Yeah, like that's it's, it's too super, much. super super low. <laughs> well, well, that's well, even four, too much. <laughs> whatever that, but even that 14 is like super low. It's not like that's like almost hand tight. Like <laughs> it's not very much. Yeah, we and about you that. can. You know, he knows that for sure. Yeah, you can easily, easily crack the valve covers, um, and especially with these used stuff, people just hammer these things down and and they crack them. Right. So, like that's the thing when you when you got to put yours together, um, we'll check those bolt holes in the in the head, make sure they're good before you even get to that point of putting the valve right. cover on. Right. 
So that's so that's what happened. It was the valve cover that was cracked, but it's not cracked in any kind of visible way. It's actually so if you look at the valve cover, you know where it mates to the head is obviously flat, and then it's like a dome cover that goes over the cams. So these six millimeter bolts are recessed in a little like half moon shaped, you know, recess um, between the flat portion and the dome portion. Yeah. And the half moon was actually cracked around at the, like the 90 degree where it goes from flat to the dome in that, like around the edge. Like, so you couldn't, you couldn't see it no matter what. And then when the car was off and there was still pressure inside the engine, it would start to bubble up and it almost looked like it was bubbling up through the threads, which didn't make much sense. But we didn't see it bubbling up from anywhere else because it was coming up around what looked like the edges of the bolt because it was that cracked all the way around. So our, our first fix was, we were still on the side of the road at this point, um, we had some uh, gray RTV and put it on the threads just to see if maybe that was causing it. It didn't make sense to either of us, but we couldn't figure out what else was going on. So we did that first, and obviously it didn't fix anything until we figured out that that little like half-moon recessed area was the part that was actually leaking. So, yeah, so it, was, it wasn't leaking at idle. Uh, it wasn't leaking when sitting there free-revving the engine. It was only when there was enough oil pressure and the engine was under a load, like climbing a hill or under a hard pole. or So you could drive the car around town all day long at, you know, 800 to 2,500 RPM, maybe 3,000 RPM, yeah. and, not have an, and not have an issue. But when you put it on a load and you put it under boost, there was enough extra... Uh, you know, crankcase pressure inside the engine to exactly. push the oil through that crack. So that was that was the issue we were dealing with, and why we couldn't diagnose it in the side of the road. So by the end of the day, the puddle on top of the turbo, the uh, the, the housing itself again, was pretty big. So we're wondering if that was ever even actually leaking, or if the whole time it was just coming out of that valve cover. That's possible. Yeah, I mean it could have been both, but who knows. So he's on the hunt now for a good non-cracked valve cover because he has a stack of cracked ones um, that he has collected over the years. So there's enough 4G63 people in the area. I'm sure somebody will come up with one soon. But I know I have I have at least three or four myself, and I know supposedly they're all good, but they're all in Massachusetts, so it didn't help. Yeah. I have one spare. So. Yep. I think I have two on cars and two spare ones. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean... I saw you got some driving in at least. So yeah, so we went all the way out the Apache Trail to the end of the Apache Trail currently because it's blocked off, so we didn't make it to where the dirt area is, um, which is uh, I think it ended in a town called Tortilla Flat. Um, it has a population of like ten. <laughs> it's like a little museum about the town and a little convenience store and a little like you know inn where people can stay there. Um, it's a really beautiful area. It's all switchbacks and like up and down, like winding roads and, um, just beautiful rolling hills and then slight climbs and slight drops. And it's a beautiful area of, of Arizona and it's only 45 minutes from downtown Phoenix. (laughs) So it's really neat to see that. Um, so we made it as far as there. So we got like the tourist trap stop. Uh, we stopped a couple places along the way that he knows that are really neat that have like, there was one area where there are five cars at the bottom of this canyon that went off 
the left-hand turn. Um, whether they were accidents or dumped stolen cars remains to be seen. They, they, there's no way to get them out. I mean, it would be it would require a helicopter to get them out because you're talking about it's in the base of a canyon surrounded by like three mountains. So, but this one gnarly left turn that's down a hill with like no camber to the turn at all. So if you hit that turn too hot and it's either wet or dark and you just don't see it, see you later. You're, you're going to go off the edge. And some of these cars look like they've been there since like 1965. Like, So it's neat because they're all at the base of the thing. Somebody went down there and you know made sure there was no dead bodies in them and they all have the big blue X sprayed on them to prove that they're clean of any biohazards. So. But it's just neat to it's neat and kind of sobering to see them sitting there upside down, flattened at the bottom of a mountain, you know. But yeah, so it was it was it wound up being an enjoyable day, even though it kind of sucked. Like we didn't get to do our event. The event went off without a hitch. Everybody had a great time. You know, I saw some pictures of the event. There was a you know a Fox Body Mustang rally car. We I saw pictures of obviously the KTM. I saw pictures of a Datsun Five Ten rally car, which actually passed us as we were pulling over to find out why we were smoking. So, but yeah, it was a, it wound up being an enjoyable day. We got things accomplished that needed to be done, apparently, that we thought were taken care of ahead of time, but apparently weren't. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if it's, you know, me bringing the curse of the broken Mitsubishi from Massachusetts to Arizona with me, or if it's just we're driving 30-year-old Mitsubishis around and 30-year-old cars are going to be broken no matter where you are. I mean, he recently put that car together. I know he's been driving a lot, but it's still in shakedown. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been running very long. Um, so. Yeah, so I didn't get to cover the last episode. I actually did the valve cover and put the restored valve cover on the Talon. Oh, another Ford G63 valve cover story. Yeah, I mean, that valve this is cover... A good, this is a good theme. Yeah, that valve cover gasket was leaking because it was 15 years old. So okay. it was time to change that. It was all dried yeah, out get, and gross. Yeah, they get hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I wanted to change the valve cover from the uh, ugly red one the way I painted it, to uh, uh, more stock silver with the red lettering. Correct. And it, actually, it was funny. I forgot about it. I opened the hood on the car today. I was like, whoa, what is that? Like it, like the silver valve cover has like shocked me. Oh, it's been red for so long, yeah. And then um, the Gallant, well, that's been, uh, idling has been acting up. That's so, been the thing we've talked about a few times, actually, on the show. Yeah, I've been chasing that for a while. Uh, before I get to that, so I did the valve cover gasket on that, too, because it was leaking. And uh, I could see, last time I had it up in the air doing the oil change, it was dripping oil all down the front of the engine block. And then actually dripping down over the transfer case. So it made it look like the transfer case was leaking, but it was really just engine oil, which is good. Yeah, that's good. That's definitely good, actually. I'll uh, I'll double check it, but it, it appears to have only been engine oil, so... That's the Galant, right? It's the Galant. Okay. Um, so that thing's been acting up, idle and weird. Um, when the engine was off, I couldn't see any type of mechanical hang-up with the throttle plate. Of course, I had it off, rebuilt it. It snapped back great with the spring that's on there. Right. Um, and just for, like, a couple people reminded me on Instagram, so, like, with the car running, idling really annoyingly, I went and up, and it's also up to temp, so it should be like at normal idle. 
uh, I had the hood open, went over, grabbed the throttle plate, and closed it about a millimeter. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Because I adjusted the throttle cable like five years ago when I put the car. So it wasn't snapping shut the way it's supposed to. It was literally just open enough to not trigger the closed idle switch. And basically that's why I was feeling like it was a stuck throttle because it was a stuck throttle because occasionally you could come to a stoplight and blip the throttle like an old carbureted car and it would come off a fast idle. Hmm. So strange. Uh, <clears throat> so I literally gave it like a slight adjustment, a little more slack on the cable, and now it closes all the way. I instantly lost 500 RPM. So it went from like 2,000 to like, well, it went from like 1,500 to like 1,000. Which is the thing the issue you've had with the rev hang when you're like downshifting the car to a stoplight. Or it would just felt like the car was on cruise control because the throttle plate was actually open. Um, and then I took the idle screw. Now you're supposed to do all this. You're supposed to adjust it with, with it grounded. I already did it with it grounded. I literally just turned it half a turn and now it sits right where it's supposed to for idle. I was Good. like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, that will make the car significantly more fun to drive. Uh, I ended up doing the TPS sensor anyways after I did this stuff, just because the TPS sensor that's on there is almost 30 years old, so I might as well, they do wear out. They wear like, you know, they wear in from being open and closed. So um, I installed a new one, a factory one. Um, You can also set an ECM link to... Uh, you can set the range of the TPS switch, and then you can tell it to simulate the closed um, throttle switch off of the TPS. So just in case that closed throttle switch is not working properly, it's now actually getting the signal off the new TPS sensor. Uh, and it does drive much, much better. So Unbelievably, that's what it took. Well, we've talked about this in the past, that sometimes it's that simple thing that you just don't think about that's causing a problem that you overthink, you know, to the teeth trying to figure out what's wrong with it. Like, yeah. And I multiple times looked at the mechanical linkages, but the car was, but the car was off time. Yeah. Like I even un like I took the cover off the cruise control assembly because the cruise control does work in the car. And I sprayed it down with uh, spray lubricant just to make sure penetrating oil, just to make sure that it was moving freely Right. didn't seize up from sitting all winter. But whatever. Um, it works now, and I know the throttle body is good because it's rebuilt. That's excellent. So now you can use, well, whatever. You still have a few, a month or so left of the driving season in New England to enjoy it at least. It's not like it's, you know, it's not like you figured it out. Now it's time to put the car away. Yeah. So for the next. Which is good. Hopefully you'll start out on the right foot and won't have an issue in the beginning of the season, but it sounds like that was the only thing holding the car up this year. So and it's been doing that since we drove it to Georgia. Yeah, it literally only started with that like a year, right before that trip. A year and a half ago. No, it started acting kind of weird. Uh, it, that it had like a bunch of weird small issues that overlapped each other, like the seized wastegate, and then. Uh, there was something else that it was causing it to like knock. I forget what it was. Uh, and then 
like it would cut out and then adding ECM links like solved that problem and the new wastegate solved that issue and then it was like chasing this issue it was very strange it was just a bunch of small things right that, that were just being really annoying oh the coolant temp switch was causing it to idle weird because oh, yeah, it was I seeing that. the false yeah. yeah it was seeing a false coolant temp so it was reading too high and to save itself if your car starts to overheat it will raise the idle so it increases the coolant flow. Right. Yeah, so that was an issue there. And I think I've talked about that in the past, too, where one of those things that I buy for every Mitsubishi that I own is a coolant temp switch. Yeah. Because it always seems to go bad. And usually the way it um, shows itself is that the car will have a really rough cold start because it won't know the correct temperature, to, and it will just be dumping fuel into it. Yeah. So it'll sit there and, bah, 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 and it'll stink to high heaven because... It just it's getting so much fuel put through the motor it doesn't need. So or the usually opposite. yeah, but yours you did. Yeah. Start. yeah, um, yeah, because the the Montero one was failed when I got it, and the uh, yeah, and the it, and interestingly the Galant one was new when I put the engine together and then it failed. So they're good for two or three years, and then they go. Yeah, it's weird. Those and um, alternators. Mitsubishi alternators. I seem to go through every one I ever have is that issue. Yeah. So. Well, knock on wood, I've got I've gone from the parts store ones to OEM rebuilds or OEM brand, and I haven't had issues with those. So if you go with like a Denso or an Asin, I think that well, I don't know if Asin makes them. I know Denso definitely does. Um as far as the alternator goes, I've always had them rebuilt. Well, I've, what I've done now is have them rebuilt by a local shop. The factory one, if you have it. Exactly. So I've got a factory rebuild in the Galant. There's a Denso in the Montero. So once you right. go with a decent one, they're okay. Can you have? Uh, can I have a half a second break here? I need to go run and do something. A sound issue I have to take care of. Hold on. Half a second and entertain the people for 30 seconds or less. Okay. Less, probably even less. No problem. Uh, yeah, so, uh, let's see, we went out to Prescott Rally 2010, and, uh, it was for Dirty Impreza, and Aaron Ekanaka ran his rally car for the first time, that's why we are there, uh, and a bunch of other people came out from the East Coast, like, Erica DeToto was there to compete for the Tool Drive Championship. Talk about the Prescott Rally again? Sorry, I It was, like, super, super cool. And that's why yeah. we're there because there was just like a, it ended up being like a ton of East Coast people too. Yeah, it was it was a killer time, and that like I said, that's that that event was my first like introduction to the state of Arizona, and like exploring the north, the northern section of the state was just like eye opening to me. It made me want to live here. Yeah, so. and that was the time the two uh, five Altima almost killed us. No, we almost killed us because we didn't know how to drive a two five Altima. Yeah, at 5,000 feet, or 9,000 feet, or whatever the hell it was. 9,000 feet, yeah. Yeah, because we were up by the Grand Canyon. We had been driving the car, like, at low elevation, and it was fine. And then when we got to elevation, we pulled out of a gas station in front of an 18-wheeler, and a 2.5 Altima with a CVT at, you know, eight or 9,000 feet is uh, not good, we'll say. It is a, uh, it's slower than a 78 Colt with a two-barrel carburetor. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty terrible. So as so. far as uh, project car updates, I've got 
other than like things getting washed and vacuumed, all my cars are ready for Radwood Boston. Awesome. That's that's all I'm doing. I'm not taking anything apart. I'm not doing anything else. I'm just going to wash them and vacuum them. Well, you've done a ton coming up to this point because you have now done the valve cover gasket in the Talon. You completely replaced the suspension in the Talon. Yeah. You finally figured out the idle in the Gallant. You fixed a leak in the Gallant. Like, there's, so you've done a lot. It's not like you're just like, my cars are ready to go to the show. They're prepared because you made them prepared. Yeah. <laughs> so, however, I will be home next week prior to the show, and I have a lot to do. So, um, we need, well, I need to finish doing the uh, painting of the door of the Eclipse in a color that is not orange. Um, and then once that's done, I need to assemble the whole car. Um, and then I think, are we still going to try to push to get the other car there or not? We can try. I'll be around. Yeah. All right. So we just need to bang it around a little bit, basically. Yeah, I'm just... Um... I put my uh, WRX over on my dad's lift tonight before. Okay. Pulled the hood off of it, put it on the roof so I can uh, slowly but surely work my way through that because it needs a radiator. It needs the uh, gas leak fixed in the under the intake, which is a huge-ish job. Like, the whole intake has to come off the car. Well, I've, it's like everything on those cars requires pulling the intake off, so... Yep, and you might uh, as well do ever do everything while you're there. Yeah, and it's one of those annoying things where it's not quite due for a timing belt, but since the radiator has to come out because it's leaking, uh, and it works out because I needed to drain the coolant anyways to take the intake off, I might as well do the timing belt. Right, because it's due in like twenty or like fifteen-ish thousand miles. Well, I know. Well, I know you also are potentially planning on selling the car in the not too distant future. Yeah. So I think that by doing that stuff, you know, it'll make an easier sale of the car, too. Like, hey, this was literally just done, and this was done, and this was done, and the car's ready to drive for another, you know, 80,000 miles without, potentially, hopefully, without pulling out a wrench. So. Yeah, just I mean, put fenders and doors on it. Well, that's it's New England. It's less rusty than most. So... It's if somebody's looking for a WRX in New England, they'll buy yours because it has quarter panels, and you can bolt you can bolt on fenders and doors. So I don't I, I think that somebody would be very happy buying that car when you are ready to sell it. So. Well, I think that pretty much covers everything that I've got going on. Uh, I haven't done a ton out here. We talked about JCCS last week. Um, I've not done much else to cars since then. Um, I did the, obviously talked about the safari rally that I didn't do, uh, worked on that car for a while. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I've, like I said, I've driven the Sapporo a few times, so that's been nice, but nothing else is, uh, I've started doing some research into the five speed for the Colt. Um, so those that are familiar with Mitsubishi engine nomenclature, there's like a 4G63, a 4G32, a 4G, they're all, the 4G is the family. And then the, the number in the end is depending on the displacement of the engine. But the 4G63 comes in both single and dual cam. And it comes in a, a narrow block and a wide block. 
So yeah, which I, I never s- quite understood what that was. It's the spacing on the bell housing with the bolts. So I had been researching five-speed transmissions for the blue car, um, and apparently I've been doing it wrong the whole time. Ah. Because at one point I was told that the 4G63 Mighty Maxes were wide or narrow blocks. Um, so I had said, no, I don't need a 4G63 um, five-speed from a Mighty Max because it's going to be for a wide block, and my car has the 1.6 4G32, which is the 1.6 version of that same engine. So I need the narrow block transmission. But apparently, this is getting real in the weeds, a 4G63 automatic Mighty Max had a wide block engine, and the 5-speed still had a narrow block. So I have probably turned down that transmission like seven times over the past two years. Ah. Thinking it wasn't going to be the right one. Good job. Yes. So now I need to do a little more research and actually maybe measure. Get your 4G get my tape numbers measure, correct. Get my tape measure. Well, the numbers are correct. It's just the automatic and the manual came with narrow and wide differences, which I wasn't told in the beginning. I was told that the 4G63 single cam Mighty Max was a wide block. Because it is, and the person who told me wasn't wrong, but what the person who told me didn't know was that the automatic and the five-speed were different. Sounds like you're blaming your problems so, on someone else. No, it's my fault, too, for not doing the research myself. But when you're researching something like this, other than measuring it, and I don't have my car apart to measure it, um, there's no way of knowing because it's not documented anywhere. So, or maybe it is, and I just don't know where to look for it, but... Anyway, so I'm back on the hunt again now for a five-speed for that car. So I think given the new information I have, I might have a lead on one, so we'll see what happens. But that was an interesting conversation I actually had about an hour ago. That's why it's fresh in the brain. So, But, yeah, that's all I've done car-wise is research because that's all I can do. All right. So we're also recording this on what is International Podcast Day, so... I didn't know it was a thing, but it seems like every day is International Something Day now. The day before was International Coffee Day, and it worked out because our coffee machine broke, and we got a 20% off discount on a new coffee machine. Oh, that's fortuitous. Yeah. I think I feel like it was International Sons Day or something, too, but my dad didn't get my dad didn't get me anything, so I don't know if it was or not. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate everybody listening to our scrappy little independent podcast here that... Uh, Sometimes needs work and sometimes works out well. But um, as always, you can follow us, Auto Off Topic Podcast, on Facebook, Auto Off Topic on Instagram. You can follow me, Race and Anger, on Instagram. Brad, where can they find you? T S I S S 350 on the Instagram. All right, cool. As always, keep cars analog and aim for the roses. Mm-hmm.